0: Do produce green hydrogen, which is aiming for the maritime industry and the offshore wind industry.
1: Welcome to the Port Excel podcast. We're happy to invite you to our third episode where we talk with Carl Fischer, CEO and co-founder of SHIP. SHIP produces green hydrogen from seawater based on technology developed at Columbia University in the US. We tried setting up a long-distance phone call to his home office in Baltimore. Let's see if this works. Carl, you're in Baltimore now, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Uh, Baltimore, well well known by The Wire. (laughs) The Wire, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drug trafficking, are you involved in that? Of course I am. (laughs) You have to make money somehow. (laughs) So, but just to designate geographically, we are at the East Coast, eh? Correct. East Coasts
0: about an hour north of Washington DC and about three hours south of New York. Ah,
1: yeah, yeah, south of New York.
0: Okay. So and, and Baltimore is a port. It's the third largest port on the U.S. East Coasts. It used to be used to be number one, and it's sister city of Rotterdam. It is. It is indeed.
1: Okay, and. Uh... I'm in Rotterdam now, calling calling you from the head office um, of Port Excel. Now to introduce the topic of this episode, we're going to talk a lot of hydrogen. Okay. Okay. Uh, if if I think of hydrogen, I associate it with you, Carl. That's because you post a lot of insightful articles on LinkedIn, uh, like quite occasionally. But uh, your company ship is. H Y P um, what does ship stand for
0: ship is uh, and that's the H Y of course is for hydrogen and sh- ship as such meaning that we want to produce or we do produce green hydrogen which is aiming for the maritime industry and the offshore wind industry um, the maritime industry possibly as fuel in the near future and the offshore wind industry for storage of surplus energy.
1: Tell me about uh, what does SHIP consist of in terms of team, what does your team look like? So we're a team of three at the moment.
0: Um, My CTO is uh, Professor Dan Esposito at Columbia University. He developed the technology and Columbia patented it and uh, we have a new member since the first of August, who is also in the lab at Columbia, which is uh, Quintin and Van Hindenburg, and he is uh, a Belgium uh, citizen who is joining us for a year in the lab, and then co- subsequently is joining ship as a uh, as perhaps our
1: first employee. And your role, Carl? How do you specify your role?
0: oh i've I have a minor role to play. I'm a co-founder and CEO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, as as we all know that the the least important person on the, in, in the group. And my role really is to help get the company off the ground uh, in terms of business yeah. and to forge relationships, partnerships, collaborations, um, and hopefully our first, pilot uh, which looks pretty promising we have a good understanding with the port of Rotterdam to have our first pilot in September 2020 in Rotterdam
1: to to maybe express it in layman's terms we talked about this once before Uh, you you talk about uh, using a a technology that uh, has a membrane that cannot deteriorate over time or or which is even without a membrane can you maybe explain exactly the, the last bit is the important one it's
0: without a membrane yeah. so we use that's why we can use seawater um, we use seawater because it the the, uh, the the minerals, if you like or the seawater contents act as a membrane in our case so we can separate oxygen and hydrogen from the water using basically just the seawater at seawater temperature and we only need a, a certain approach in terms of the positioning of the cathode, and the anode. Again, very technical, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, the, the idea being that, you, uh, that these two gases, oxygen and hydrogen, then form bubbles that align themselves on opposite sides of that um, electrolyzer cell. Oh, yeah. and that that offers us the opportunity to split it without using a membrane and that's the, the big advantage that we have because as you as you pointed out membranes are very um, delicate if you use seawater for regular membranes um, then they will break and cannot work as an electrolyzer anymore and uh, there are a couple of companies out there who've tried um, one of them very famous is the is the uh, Energy Observer, the, the French catamaran that is traveling around the globe, yeah, right. running on hydrogen. Uh, right. They tried to do that. They said they ran through 10 different membranes until they finally gave up and said, okay, we have to desalinate first and deion- de- deionize, and then we can we can use it. And uh, only recently, we had meetings with uh, SPM Offshore and, and uh, Neptune Energy, who both try to put electrolyzers right next to wind turbines in seawater and they had the same problems
1: so they're all very interested in in what we're trying to do you did mention columbia university before columbia university that's uh, which is that also east coast that's new york yeah that's new york okay um do you have an uh, do you have an explanation why this technology uh, came into being there um, what, what provided the, the, the environment or the circumstance for, for this kind of technology, uh, technology to, to, to come into existence? I think it had a lot to do with my co-founder's lab at, at Columbia.
0: He's specializing in, originally he's specializing in solar, as he calls it, solar fuels. So anything that could be derived from uh, solar energy. Um, but he, of course, during the process of our work, he also realized there's more than just solar energy. There's also wave energy and wind energy, which in America is not really existing. So we have one wind farm with five turbines <laughs> out in uh, out in front of uh, Massachusetts. That's it. And um, that, of course, means that this is not on, on anybody's radar in, in the US, and it's very difficult to get wind farms approved and, and all that. I don't want to go into that. But but uh, uh, important...
1: Sorry to interrupt, but on a, on a visit to, uh, to Arizona, I believe it was uh, last year or two years ago, I did drive through an enormous uh, wind farm. They have... Uh... Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of onshore winds. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that's... of course.
0: Yeah, yeah that's the, that's yeah. the difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. we have a lot of onshore wind, particularly in Texas. Actually, in Texas, uh, wind production is almost, uh, in energy production from wind, is almost rivaling uh, oil now, which is amazing for a state like Texas. Um, and, and so that, that's, that's very different. And the other thing, because it's interesting, you mentioned the Colombia, because um, when I re- approached Colombia, I had read about this technology and I approached Colombia and said, are you interested in turning this into a business? And um, it took a while for them to react. It's academia, you know, they're they're not really um, that quick off the bark when it comes to business. Um, So finally, we had a meeting, and they included the so-called technology transfer people right away because they give the licenses for these patents to companies. And the first question I was confronted with was, what on earth do you want to do with this? So that's... (laughs) And so I, I gradually took them by the hand, so to speak, and led them through starting out with ballast water treatment, slowly, slowly towards where we are now. It's, it has been quite a journey.
1: Port Excel is the first world port and maritime accelerator for innovative startups and scale-ups that have the potential to disrupt the port and maritime industry. In the second part of our talk with Carl Fischer, we look at possible applications of hydrogen in the port area. But first I wanted to know from Carl, what are some of the recent emissions targets that have been set in the maritime sector?
0: There are two big elephants in the room, so to speak. One is um, that the EU, uh, together with Japan and Australia have indicated that by 2023, if the IMO regulations don't really deliver, they are prepared to consider a, an emission tax or a carbon tax or something similar. And that would increase the price of fuel quite significantly. Oh yeah. Uh, we're talking about um, seventy five dollars per tonne. In case of bunker fuel, it would be three times that. So we're talking two hundred thirty dollars per per ton, hmm. which is at, if you look at the current price of bunker fuel, which is around six hundred dollars a ton, is is almost forty percent. So that that's one big threat to, to the industry. Uh, the other side of it is that uh, we only on the twenty third of June we had a major statement by the so called zero emission coalition, which is seventy partners spearheaded by Maersk, Uh, including Cargill, um, uh, Citibank, and several others, who said, we want to have the first fully capable zero-emission vessel on deep-sea routes by 2030. Mm -hmm. So that's a massive challenge. That's 11 years or maybe 10 and a bit from now. And Maersk said, we as a company want to be emission-free by 2050. And they didn't say carbon neutral. They said emission-free, which is a big difference. Oh. The big difference being, if they say emission-free, that excludes LNG as a possibility. Hmm. And, that, and there's, there's the big push by, the, um, by many industry groups to look into LNG as a potential fuel going forward, as a bridge fuel, as they call it. But if you think about the lifespan of a vessel of about 25 years, if you order today an LNG vessel that lasts 25 years, then that's no longer a bridge fuel. That's way into or beyond 2030. So it basically this statement basically rules out LNG as a potential fuel to get emission-free. Wow. And, that, and that's very important. And the CEO of Maersk actually said in his statement that this requires alternative fuels and that clearly is what hydrogen is for them mm-hmm. and I think Antwerp and in particular CMB the uh, company Maritime Belge is one of the companies who are in my view doing the boldest move of all of them because they said we're not going down the LNG route at all. We are building our own engines that can run on diesel or hydrogen. Diesel only where we don't have an infrastructure to refuel, but because that's still a problem, we need to have that option. But otherwise we run it on hydrogen. And they and that that statement that they had, a, and they, they went a step further. They not only had a ferry running for one and a half years in the port of Antwerp with that engine, They bought the company that converted that engine and they formed a joint venture with another company in Belgium to build these engines up to a size of 2.8 megawatt. I mean, these are serious engines and the port of Antwerp is actually commissioning a tugboat that is going to run on these engines. So that's, that's that's an amazing development and that's an amazing statement by a family owned company, a significant one. But they made it very clear this is where we are heading, and um, it's a gamble. Yes, but I think it's a gamble with better than fifty percent chance for them to get it right.
1: I'm also surprised about you know the the, the kind of uh, momentum in Antwerp for the moment around hydrogen, and uh, and uh, I, I hope we can uh, we can capi- capitalise on on that uh, also within the, the frame of Port Excel. Now. Um, <laughs> When I uh, look back at some of the selected participants, I, I think of you when we uh, talk about hyd- hydrogen, but also about uh, the company Kiyu, for instance. Are you still like working together with them, or or keeping in touch with with those are those were in your group uh, of the same year, correct?
0: That that's correct. Although they were there as a scale up, whereas we were there as a startup. But I knew Kiyu very well beforehand. And actually, I take credit for pushing them to apply to XL. Uh-huh. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have yeah. known about it, and they wouldn't have applied for it. And it, it cost them hard work for me <laughs> to get them to apply. And I think they were a little bit late then, but they were still included. Um, yes, queue would have been... That, that's, a, that's a really, really fascinating story, because um, CMB actually reached out to queue at first... Uh, two or three years ago, and Kiyo, because they were very busy doing other things, and they were a startup in those days, i.e. a small team with, you know, limited bandwidth, ignored CMB's requests. Of course, now it comes back to haunt them, so you could actually say they missed the boat, (laughs) literally. (laughs) Um, But... uh, these are the situations in the market and and kiyo is is still strongly uh, working on these on these engines i think they they had a have an agreement with uh in rotterdam that they're going to look uh, to convert some of their or build some of their engines um so they 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 exactly want because that's that's the that's the crucial point that you actually put the finger on it um it's combustion engines and it's not fuel cells why because fuel cells at the moment cannot deliver the kind of power that's required for a really big vessel. They can do so for a ferry, maybe, uh, or for a small boat in in inland shipping, for instance, but they cannot deliver the power for ocean-going vessels who you have to think about. They have 60, 80, 90 megawatts of power. That's not possible for a fuel cell yet, um, add to that the fact that, and that was interesting. Again, uh, coming back to CNB, I had a very good discussion with his uh, with a head of research, who I credit mostly with the push into hydrogen, uh, Roy Campe He said, you know, what goes on a ship has to be robust. If uh, if it breaks down mid journey, what are we going to do? We'll call road assistance? You know, there's nobody on a ship that can repair a fuel cell. No. We can repair diesel engines and if that diesel engine runs on hydrogen that's fine. We can we can handle that, but we cannot handle you know a complicated fuel cell going broke and then we're just drifting. We need we need to make sure that this is hundred percent reliable. And fuel cells for all their benefits um, at the moment cannot deliver more than one megawatt of power at best. And that's just not enough.
1: You made this distinction now between the larger ocean-going vessels that still need those 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 uh, bigger engines compared to the smaller vessels that that could benefit from from fuel cells, can you give like some indication about which particular types of, of vessels that you that you are focusing on uh, more than rather than those big uh, big monolithic ocean-going vessels? Right. So for the time
0: being, we would probably focus on so-called auxiliary engines for cruise ships, cruise ships have uh, import mostly several days uh, in a row. And during that period, they are not allowed to run their big engines. Uh, so they rely on auxiliary engines. Now, these auxiliary engines are heavily polluting and in many ports, most ports in Europe by now, they're not allowed to run them anymore. And they are forced to uh, go hit uh, a connection with the which is which is with a grid with with power that comes from onshore yeah. which is very very expensive for two reasons a they have to install uh, separate adapters on board because offshore onshore grid has a different uh, voltage than than what's on a vessel. And secondly, they have to pay the high electricity prices that they get charged, plus a so-called standby fee. The standby fee is something that utilities companies usually demand so that they basically say, we're always ready. Whenever you come, we are ready to deliver. But for that service, you have to pay a standby fee, which can be as high as half a billion euros a year. So this is a significant amount of money. On top of that, um if they can if they can use hydrogen for their auxiliary engines then they can run their own auxiliary engines on hydrogen because it's emission free and it adds another opportunity to them because when you burn hydrogen you end up with clean water and cruise ships need water and a lot of water actually every day and when they're in port because again they can only desalinate their own seawater with the with the desalination plants. When the big engine, the main engine runs, when they import, they have to buy, or bunker water. Yeah. So if they have a hydrogen engine running as auxiliary engines, they be they kill two birds with one stone. They can then run it emission free, and they can produce water that they need for the, their own vessel for their own cruise ship. Uh,
1: sounds uh, sounds like a it- Good case, and and also to conclude, I I, I would uh, advise people to uh, to uh, have a look at your profile on LinkedIn uh, and, and uh, look up uh, Carl Fisher from Ship.
0: I just I just wanted to add my my uh, tuppence to my experience at Port Excel itself, which I think for me was uh, nothing short of amazing. I have to say, I I have been through various incubators and accelerator programs in various positions, sometimes as a startup, sometimes as a mentor, sometimes as an investor. But the package that PortXL offered, or more importantly, the way it was offered was really, really impressive. It started really with the selection days because you're not being selected by the team, which is usually the case elsewhere you're selected by the industry. You're selected by 150 or so people who are somehow related to the maritime or port or offshore wind industry. And they decide whether what you have to offer is really of interest to them. So that's a very, very important step and filter because you really know that this is something they could be interested in. And then the, the second thing that was really amazing was the opportunity that is being offered by Portexl to really not only present your startup to various companies in the space, companies that frankly I had never heard of that existed, but they're massive. I mean, who? You, I, I keep I keep asking friends who live in port cities whether they ever heard of Volpak, and they look at me like, who? Wolfpack. And this is a this is a four hundred plus year old company. I mean, with a with a what a five billion euro balance sheet and and nobody ever heard of them outside the, the the world of the ports or the maritime industry or uh, ihc or sbm offshore i mean these are all companies that nobody ever heard of but all of a sudden you confronted with those and and their questions about what you're trying to achieve and on the other hand you have an opportunity to really have face time with decision makers ceos cios COOs and it's it's a totally different experience to anything that i've seen elsewhere
1: yeah that that's uh, great to hear carl that uh, that was uh, a nice experience for you to have um pop, 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 stay safe in baltimore thank you <laughs> don't get in, don't get in any trouble and uh, no, we have we have the highest
0: murder rate in the us so don't worry
1: <laughs> really
0: that's due, really? that's due to
1: you <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Carl, it was nice talking to you and uh, we'll see each other in Rotterdam or in Antwerp. Okay?
0: Yes. Yes. I would love to uh,
1: go to Antwerp sometime soon. Okay. We'll invite you over. Thank you, Carl. And see you later. I hope you enjoyed listening to Carl as much as I did. The best way to reach out to Carl Fischer directly is via LinkedIn. Look for Port Excel on social media like LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram, or go straight to the website www.portexcel.org. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Port Excel Podcast. Next episode will be coming up next month. We hope to see each other again next time.